0: Wandering Journo and Stories That Matter studios. I'm Nance Taxton, and this is The Streets of Your Town. The podcast that takes you on an audio journey highlighting a different slice of Australian life each episode. Buckle up to meet a great array of ordinary, everyday, incredible Australians. This podcast is brought to you by DM Podcasts, part of Diamantina Media, with more than 25 million downloads for a range of shows such as The Batuta Advocate and Chat 10 Looks 3. This week on Streets of Your Town, we featured the extraordinary project called Scattered People – The documentary was a six-year labour of love following two young Iranian asylum seekers navigating Australia's immigration detention system and the unexpected connections they make through music. Musicians such as John Butler, Missy Higgins, Dan Sultan, Archie Roach, Baker Boy, Michael Franti and Katie Noonan all took part. Scattered People is a heartfelt story about connection and the power of music to give people a voice. All proceeds from screenings in cinemas around the country go to local asylum seeker projects in each local area. It takes enormous commitment to learn a new skill like filmmaking, but to see that project through to screenings around Australia six years later, with rolling screening dates around COVID lockdowns, takes that commitment to another level. The documentary made filmmakers out of everyday Australians, John and Lizzie Swatland. Lizzie joins us on the podcast today, along with choir mistress Yanni Mills. Lizzie and Yani, thank you so much for joining us on Streets of Your Town. Thank you. Thank you
1: Thanks for inviting Nets. us. It's exciting.
0: Really loving reading about your project and I and I really want to hear from you, Lizzie, about this journey that you've been on. It sounds like you've been on quite a roller coaster.
2: Yeah, well it started six and a half years ago now and it started with basically we had no clue what we were doing, but John is a chiropractor and I'm a teacher's aide. And John was adjusting Robbie James from Ganga Jang. He's one of his patients. And he just so happened to say one day, um, hey, John, I'm doing this. uh, I'm in the studio and I'm recording this wonderful album called Sugar Mill Road. But it's asylum seekers and refugees that are are singing on it. And that really piqued John's interest because we both love live music, always have. And so he says, oh, you know, can we help you promote it in any way? Because, you know, Lizzie and I, we just love doing interviews and he had cameras and a bit lighting and everything and, and so Robbie said oh yeah yeah okay we only wanted to promote the album and that was the beginning and then we asked Brian Pocopis who is the founder of Gather People if we could interview a couple of people seeking asylum and so he asked and the two beautiful people we have is Mass and Saha. And we interviewed Mass First in Brisbane and uh, we, we got to his place and and uh, it was an immediate rapport and connection with him. And he's the most beautiful man you'd ever wish to meet. And then after the interview was over, he was very open, very, very candid. There were moments when I'd ask a question and he just went quite quiet and he went, you know, I haven't thought about that again since I left. So he was able to revisit parts that he hadn't maybe been able to before. See, I love people's stories. I love people and I love their stories. So what John and I have tried to do is create a space, if you like, where people feel safe and warmed and so that they can actually express themselves freely. How long does it take to leave our sadness behind and begin to live again? At times we feel we are on our way, But then, like a fellow traveler in our journey through sorrow, the rain comes. So, when he finished the interview and we were driving back to the Gold Coast, I couldn't stop crying. John was as silent as anything. And that was the moment it changed our lives. And we thought, what can we do? We have to do something. That time we didn't know what we were going to do. But that was the beginning of six and a half years ago.
0: What took you from there to actually expressing it in this way?
2: Well, then we interviewed Saha, who was living in Melbourne. So we flew her up and she stayed with us. And then it was just a question of interviewing all the scattered people like the beautiful Yani and the other people that were sort of involved at that time. And then we thought, well, hey, you know, if we're going to do it about music, because we became quite political. And Sonia, who is pulling all this together for us, we met in the very early days through a friend, mutual friend, and she's now back on board, which is extraordinary. But she had inroads to a couple of people like Vince Jones, the jazz singer, uh, Tom Keneally. So we just wrote. And then that began a whole series of emails of, well, let's just, we wrote this list of maybe 30 musicians in Australia. Wrote emails to them all. And majority of them came back and said, yeah, you know, yes, we really want to be a part of this. So we thought, oh, okay. So the exciting part. Uh, for us was actually traveling around Australia when they were doing gigs. And, you know, we filmed them before or after they were doing their gigs and soundcheck. And then we had other people, with well, the academics, because we thought this is great having all these musicians, but we want to know what power music has. So there we interviewed four or five professors of music in the universities. So we put our feelers out and we got the wonderful Lindy Harrison from Sydney. And she crafted with us what basically we have today. And she created the story from all this mega, 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 megabytes mega of footage. And we managed to get final funding at the end of February through a wonderful benefactor. And then that was it, crazy, crazy, you know, to get it finished. And then we brought in another editor, Jimmy Fenton, also from Sydney, who crafted it in his way from Lindy's, and we love it. But then there's the archivist. There's so many other people, the music supervisor, so many people we had no clue that we actually had to have in order to craft this, even to a film lawyer, a film accountant, all of these things that we didn't know at that time. So it's sort of organically grown as we have grown. The uniting and
0: factor of all of those people has been mm-hmm. music and the stories of refugees.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, absolutely, from different aspects, from the healing power of music, which has always been very, uh, for us, very important because it is. Where would we be without music? So that was ultimately the beginning of it all, if you like. Yes, Mass and Saha and the beautiful people they are, and to hear their story. And a lot of asylum seekers and refugees don't like to share their stories. They can be very shy. They can be incredibly damaged from what's been going on in their lives. Of course, the trauma Um, as well. Yeah, the the trauma. Um, Some actually have not told a new group of friends over the years that they did come on a boat. And so they actually don't even want to share that. And so their friends maybe don't even know that. There's so many different repercussions around this. So when Matt said he would share and Saha said she would share, we're incredibly grateful And very brave of them and courageous to do that. And we kept saying, are you sure you want to do this? There'll be no repercussions in Iran or for your family. And they're going, no, 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 we want to do this. So ever grateful to them. And now they're part of our family. We adore them. Absolutely adore them. Yeah.
0: So from your home at the Gold Coast, could you ever have imagined that this would come to this point, this making this documentary? (laughs) Not
2: a chance. No way. But do you know what? I wouldn't change a moment of it. There were times when I was in tears saying, I can't do it. This is too much, you know, because we still have our day jobs. And that continued. We just keep going with that. Um, and then, but the joy or the other parts just so overpowered those feelings of despair and we can't do it. You know, when we didn't have any money, how are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? But I do believe, you know, the universe provides, you know, if we, I'm, I'm the ever optimist. And so I always think, no, you know, I have trust. I have faith. This will happen. It will happen. So, no, there's a part of me that we never thought in our wildest dreams this could happen to the extent that it is. But the other part of me, I think, that's had the faith and the trust goes, yes, yeah, you know, we did it. We've done it. And we can. The other thing, it's not about us. We never wanted it to be about John and me. We wanted it to be the message of changing the conversation of, changing the the rhetoric that is around people seeking asylum and and refugees and that we're all human we're living on this planet as humans and why can't you know we just get on with one another you know it sounds simple but (laughs)
0: But music perhaps does provide that thread to, to bring that understanding as well as you've shown.
2: Absolutely, mm. yes. Oh well, Yanni, you would definitely know that as a choir mistress.
0: Yes, Yanni, can you tell us some of your story and how you became involved in this this project? I came
1: to the recording studio of Simon Monsour who, back in 1999, when they were recording the first album and they wanted somebody had asked. Me to, to come and help with the harmonies and things like that because they knew me from the choir scene and the music scene, and so I willingly went. Yes, absolutely, I'd love to do this, and I love the songs. and We were just in um, Simon's lounge room slash bedroom. I think <laughs> I think it was sort of doubled, <laughs> and um, and he just had the recording studio right there, and we sort of crammed in these places, heads back against the wall, and. And sang these beautiful songs and and you know, I love them and I and I knew a little bit about asylum seeker issues because I had done a fundraiser or helped or gone to a fundraiser and helped out a little bit for this. But i n I'd heard that was the first time I heard the word asylum seeker. And I didn't really understand until that night um, at the zoo. It was an asylum seeker fundraiser. And so with that little bit of knowledge, armed with that bit of knowledge, I got a little bit more from Brian meeting Brian and, and, and knowing Simon from the music scene that I did. But it was definitely definitely the launch of the first album, the Scattered People album. We had to had quite a long process of, of getting people together. and Simon did such a beautiful job of arranging and organizing scattered people, literally. To come together and sing this great story um, that he te- that he tells. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to tell it or not. It's a little um, recording secret, but they're always the best stories. There is a whole, always <laughs> stories, but it's so genius, you know. Trying to get people to from different languages, different cultures, um, different backgrounds, and and singing abilities as well, various singing abilities, to sing this song called "Sweet Freedom." And he told me that. Late, he, he tried it for a very long time. He went for a very long time, and, and at the end, he got one group of people to sing "Wheat, Wheat, Wheat, Wheat Freedom," and the other one to go "Seat, Seat, Seat, Seat Freedom," and then he put the two together. <laughs> So it came with sweet because they would drag the sweet they couldn't get it quite precise. Uh, and he wanted it to be nice on the, you know, nice and precise. And this he put so much love and energy. It wasn't just like a little project, little kind of community project. He put so much professionality into it, which I think really was a huge factor in why it was so successful. It was that night when we were at St Mary's and there was, I don't know, a hundred people in the room, and I called it the crying room because everyone was crying that night. Everyone was crying. And we were singing the songs, you know, launching the songs, singing the songs on stage with some of the refugee claimants and a lot of them weren't there. And we were crying because a lot of them had been deported. The people who sang on the album weren't there anymore. Devastating. Devastating. It was, yeah, yeah.
0: even even now it's still
1: really hard. Yeah, it was really Mm. strong. And um, one Sri Lankan woman sat me down, she was in a sari and everything, sat me down and she was crying and she held my hand and she looked at me and said, you sing like you understand what we're going through. And that sums it up really, doesn't it? That it can
0: make that connection of, over experiences and over oceans and borders, basically. Yeah, mm.
1: and I was like, I, I do. I do understand and I do feel what you're going through and not feel exactly what you're going through because I've never been through that but um, from then on I just dedicated myself to this this became my I don't know what to call it exactly but my mission my more than pet project my partner's sitting over there on the (laughs) couch (laughs) you're calling in a way it is my calling and and when I met Lizzie and John, they're vibrant, gorgeous, vibrant couple. It was a great night and, and you came. You both came across as this amazing couple. I didn't realise that you had started on this journey at that point. or well, maybe you hadn't. I can't remember how long ago it was. But, um, yeah, it was. It, it's so community music is my thing, Nance. I love the idea of people singing and, and finding solace and connection. I use the word connection because I think the word love can be very almost triggering. The word love can mean anything. People can say they love you and do terrible things to you. So, you know, love can mean different things to people, but as soon as you say connection, people understand. When you feel connected to something, you feel warm and there's, you know, and that is a form of love, you know, but but one that I think that is much more acceptable and much more understood.
2: I'd just like to say also that Yanni was uh, instrumental as well with the scattered People when they came out of detention she's just extraordinary and she's so instrumental in bringing people together in music and even people who can't sing you know i mean i wouldn't say i'm a singer but i like singing but we always, it always came together. She's masterful at it. <laughs> Thanks for the plug. I do like doing it. Thank you. Thanks,
0: Lizzie. I'm just so fascinated by how this project has evolved that it, it sort of really began with when Australian musicians sort of went into that Brisbane detention centre to share their music and met the two Iranian musicians, Maz and mm. Saha. But it's gone on to develop on so much more from there. Mm. I wonder if even the musicians expected where uh, or had any idea where it would go.
2: I'm pretty sure no. No, probably not, but Saha actually has gone back to Iran very sadly. So she became we became very close and she had lots of unfortunately some mental difficulties many reasons but the main reason was not being able to accept it, not being able to settle and suddenly having all this freedom that she didn't have in Iran and then but it wasn't really freedom at all. It was she calls it being in limbo and it's it basically you know mentally it really brought her undone. She was quite broken in the end. And we tried everything we could, you know, to help her. And she went into a, into psychiatric care for a while. And she'd phone me and say, Lizzie, Lizzie, please, she used to call me mom, please take me out of here. And I'm saying, darling, I can't, this was in Melbourne. Anyway, cut long story short, you know, we kept in contact and, and eventually the end of 2019, she decided to go back to Iran. And at that time, we had been communicating with her and her beautiful aunt, Sore, who still lives in Melbourne. And Zoré was very worried about her and and said, you know, that I just don't know what we can do anymore. So she decided basically to go back to her mom and dad in, in Tehran. And at that time, because of COVID, we thought, oh, you know, I'm sure she'd be safe because everything was pretty crazy at that time. But we've since found out she was actually intensely in this place for five hours interrogated to make sure that she was mentally unstable before they'd agree that she could go back safely. So how about that? And then she went straight into hospital and her mom and dad had to look, had to look after her for, I think it was three or four months. Wow. So that's that was news to us just recently because we always wanted to find out and Sora and I get on very well and we kept in communication but there was a time when it became very quiet and she didn't respond back and I left that be because sometimes you have to do that you know it's like she knows where we are and now we're back in huge communication which is great so it's incredibly sad and how many others like her just because we can't accept people you know from another country in the way they came here thing you know to seek asylum is is legal it's not illegal and so that was that was part of it as well that we wanted to change that conversation in some way for people to learn from what we have learned that the way through that as we're doing is through music
0: music does make these topics more accessible they are quite difficult i suppose to talk about and people's rights and the refugee convention and, you know, how Australia fits
2: into that on a world stage. Exactly, supposedly multicultural country, you know, and it's just so swept under the carpet. But I think there is there is certainly more of that activity, you know, certainly the Biloela family, that's brought wonderful things at the forefront. Just send them back to Biloela where the community, there adores them and loves them and they were working there. The children, were, the girls were born there. All those years ago, that first year, the second year, the third year, John and I were saying, we've got to get it out there. You know, this is all going to be really fine one day. We've got to get it out there, but every year, it's got worse. You know, the detention in the hotels. I mean, go figure, why would you put them in a hotel? You know, and we made some beautiful friends through Messenger, this wonderful man who was in Melbourne. He was actually on manners. So I used to communicate with him on Manus. And he was eventually released through mental health issues in Melbourne. And now he's in the community. Beautiful man. from He's a Rohingya man. He's beautiful. And we still communicate. Why can't we? Why do we have to do this? Can you tell us where can we watch your film? If you go to our website, we have many, many screenings all over the country. So the best thing to do is go to our website and there's a little drop down box. It says screenings. And host a screening. So you can go to either of those. And there's a sort of a calendar. We want this to keep going, you know, for a few months. So it's just scatteredpeoplefilm.all. If you Google it, that'll come up anyway. We've got a wonderful team again to put up on your website so that it's all sort of a bit more easier to, to navigate. So there's many screenings in all over the country, even rural Australia, they're holding screenings too, in church halls and libraries, and it's just wonderful. Local cinemas as well? Yeah, local cinemas, definitely cinemas. And all the organisations that are putting it all together for us. So John and I didn't want to, it was not for us to make any money out of, it was to actually go towards the Simon Seeker and refugee organisations. So we've handed over to them to create the screenings wherever and whatever they, in whichever way. And then what they charge and get the bums on seats, if you like, they receive that money. So whatever they raise is for them. That's the way we wanted to roll it out. So when you have a distributor, they take, which is great. Don't get me wrong, but they take most of the money. So then what happens is by the time the theatres taken their cut, the distributors taken their cut, there's very little for the organization. So this has been a much harder way of doing it with the team, particularly this wonderful woman called Sonia. She's actually helping us. And doing an amazing job to actually get it out there, you know with these organizations. so
0: very um, grassroots by the sound of it and getting the word very, out, and very, about, which which is grassroots. usually the most effective way. It's word of mouth, isn't it? And getting people yeah. who may not have really thought about this issue much to to go and mm-hmm. see this film and hear hear the amazing music from from musicians that you, that, that, that they've loved for so long. Missy Higgins, John Butler. Harry James Angus from the Cat Empire, Katie Noonan, Michael Franti, Archie Roach, Dan Sultan, Robbie James. I mean, what a list. It must have been uh, incredible to be part of. How does it feel now? Is it the end of the journey, Lizzie and Yanni? Or is it really the journey continues in a different way after this?
1: It's kind of funny that from this seed, this has grown and, you know, people latched onto it. There was albums made and gigs done and, and, you know events that we jump onto and it's a progressing
2: thing. I think what Lizzie and John have done is incredible. We kept it very much in the theme of it has to be the music that drives it. Music opens our hearts, let's face it. So, you know, for that, that's what we wanted to do. And even now I've seen it hundreds of times, all the little, you know, tweaks that we've had to make over the years. I still cry. This is why I became part of this as well because of the music I
1: I, be, I was drawn to it from the music as well and so it, I know how much it can change people and mm. can change your mind it can make you learn about things you've never thought to learn about before and and go outside of your own experience. And that's what's really important, that people go outside of their own experience and experience what it's like.
0: Well, thank you both so much for speaking to us on the podcast today. But is there anything just that
2: you'd like to end with? If people can just share, spread the word. Not just what I was going to say. Mm. Yeah. But just be kind to one another, you know, if you've got somebody that you're aware that might be struggling or someone in your street that maybe from another country, can't even speak English, you know, just say hi, you know, how are you doing? It doesn't take much, you know, let's not forget we are humans and we're all trying to live here together and, yeah, just be kind but yes, great. Go and see the go and see the film in all the wherever it is because that money raises more awareness as well. Brisbane, Byron, um, um Redlands, and
1: there's mm. Sydney, of course. Lots of places like that. But great. please come and see us and sing with us because I'm going to get you all to sing one of the songs <laughs> at the end. What we call our our big hit yeah. <laughs> that nobody knows except the people who have the album <laughs> we think it's a big hit anyway well yeah. thank you very much fantastic yeah, thanks Nance. okay
0: care. see ya. Okay. thank you bye, um, bye. That was Scattered People producer Lizzie Swatland and choir mistress Yanni Mills speaking to me about the six-year journey for their documentary Scattered People for this episode of Streets of Your Town. To find out when a screening is happening near you, just go to the website at scatteredpeoplefilm.org for a monthly calendar of screenings around the country and details of screenings that have been delayed for COVID restrictions. Streets of Your Town is produced by Nance Haxton, a.k.a. The Wandering Journo, with production assistance from Michael Adams. site